and spent most of our summers in the BC interior. Yeah. So it feels not unfamiliar. Yeah. The lakes and the yeah. mountains. mountains. The bugs are different, though. <laughs> Less bitey. Less bitey, but very different shaped. So. Okay. It's already recording, so well, hey. you up. No, that's awesome, because I always like a little bit of pre banter, anyways. Yeah. Um, that's how I always build the episode. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time because I know you are probably running 16 different ways pretty much every day. So to kick us off, uh, let's... The listeners already know me, probably tired of hearing from me, but they don't probably know you. So let's get a sense for who you are. You are Jack. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? I am. So, well, nice to meet you listeners. (laughs) Uh, I'm Jack. I'm from the UK originally, from London is where I grew up. And I'm the director here at Canisig International Scout Centre, which is the World Scout Centre, the only World Scout Centre. Yeah. It's the centre chosen by Baden-Powell. He wanted a place back in 1920. The first World Scout Jamboree in London was closing. And at his closing speech, he talked about uh, the success of a jamboree that had brought people from around the world. The First World War was just ending, so it was all about right. rebuilding. Yeah. It was an important time. And he kind of put out this call in 1920 saying, I think we should look for a place where we could always bring scouts and guys together at any time of year. And that's what became the World Scout Center. And since 2019, I've been the director here. Really? Okay. I was going to ask how long you'd been, uh, been in the seat. Um, and like, what's your scouting history? You know, just to fill in that little... So I, uh, I guess I come from a bit of a scouting family. Like my granddad was also a scout leader and my mom had nice. been in the guides and but not super heavy. Uh, I joined when I was six. My parents sent me along to Beavers. Ah, And I stayed involved all the way through my teenage years, which I think is the the most difficult bit. I think a lot of people stay in the younger, you know, six through to 12 age. Yeah, Cubs, Scouts. Yeah, right. There's lots of cool things, climbing and hiking and, uh, you know, archery and that sort of thing. But then in teenage times, a lot of people drop out. And I was very lucky to have a very, very good group who were very active and outdoors. And so they would take us off canoeing on the weekends or... Climbing the mountains up in uh, the Peak District in the middle of the country, and that definitely kept me engaged. And then they brought me out to Canada State when I was seventeen on an international trip. It's maybe twenty of us, and that was where I first got to see the centre and was kind of first big international experience. Nice. Well, and you know, it's kind of fitting that the train's going by because that is part of the history of the chalet, as I understand. Talking to and hearing from some of the staff here, the chalet was found in like 1922 by um, Von Bonn. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm not going to attempt his whole name. Walter von Bonstetten. There you go. Chief scout of Switzerland at the time, yeah. Yeah, uh, and it was evidently like an abandoned um, workers' yep. dormitory for the train tunnel just exactly. up the way here. It had been abandoned for eight years. It's, uh, the roof had caved in, windows were smashed uh. when they found it, so it wasn't quite what it is today. <laughs> but yeah, basically every thing around the village of Kennesteg, and especially the scout centre, is linked in some way to the Lochberg Tunnel. It's uh, about 16 miles long, goes through the Alps, one of the major passes through the Alps, um, over 100 years old. And the campsite is all built on the rock that was dug out. Wow. So if you try to pitch a tent and you try to put your peg into the ground, you'll feel that there's a lot of rock right underneath. I did notice that. <laughs> but the, all of the buildings somehow have been connected. Even where we are now is the Candelodge, the most modern building. It was added in 2009. Okay. Um, and in 2009, they'd finished building a second tunnel through the mountains called the Lower 
based tunnel. Ah. It's a bit longer, a bit faster. Uh, nowadays, there's so many more cars, so it increases capacity and freight. And uh, this building was the offices from that tunnel. Oh, and so when that tunnel was finished being built, the office was finished, someone from the, the local town council made this suggestion of, oh, maybe the Scout Centre could use the building. It was dismantled about 10 miles away from here, brought up to here, rebuilt and adjusted to be into the Candle Lodge, which nowadays has 44 guest beds, has a big hall, big kitchen, laundry, more showers, and some staff accommodation. Nice. Well, that is a heck of an add to the site because, I mean, the chalet is wonderful, but I can see where it would get a little bit limited on accommodations as well. And then also there's the sun and lake. Sun and lake, exactly, yeah. So the capacity is added over time. So when the center was first found, you're right, it was just the... Uh, what we now call the old chalet. Right. So the candle lodge was added in 2009. The Sunnerblick always existed there, but it wasn't our building. It was another accommodation or workers' building from the tunnel. Oh, okay. It only came to us in 2011, I believe it was, 2009, mm. 2011, when uh, someone very generously, it came up for sale, someone very generously bought it and donated it to the oh, wow. circus. So until then, we had been using it. It was a group house. We sometimes rented it out for busy events. Right. And the new chalet was added 30 years ago in the 90s. And that really changed the whole dynamic of the center because up until then, there was very limited staff accommodation and we barely did catering for guests. And when the new chalet was added, there was a big laundry was built, a big workshop. But the dining room, which seats 120 people, was the huge change that we could from then on do big commercial catering for scout groups. Okay, so the new chalet is on that side then. Everything on the right-hand side, exactly. And there's staff accommodation on the top, so we can now sleep about 40 staff living there as well. Oh, perfect. And so, and about how many staff are there, like, I mean... In a given season, because I know that the pinkies kind of rotate out on a yeah. three-month cycle usually. Exactly. So we have four seasons, spring, winter, autumn, and summer. Um, at any point, you'll never find less than about 40 volunteers, 40 pinkies. Okay. That's made up of short-term staff who come for three months, one of those four seasons, and long-term staff who typically come for anything between four months up to three years. Long-term staff have a specific role, so they might be in maintenance or in the kitchen or in the laundry. Right. The short-term staff rotate round. They're the face of the centre, so they'll be serving the food, guiding the activities, um, running the campfires, yeah. doing things like that. And at the busiest peak in a normal year, we'll have just over 100 volunteers in the middle of summer, basically end of July, beginning of August. So like right now? Particularly over August 1st, which is the Swiss National Day yeah. and the, the World Scarf Day. But for this year, for this event, Canada 100, we're running a lot more program than ever before. We're doing many other cool things, catering for many people. So there's a staff team of nearly 220 volunteers from wow. 50 countries. That is a that is a big number. I actually didn't know what the whole scale of it was. So that's... Uh, All united by one thing, which is their scout promise and their desire to come and host the center. Yeah. I talk to people about, it's not my center. It's not... It is the World Scout Center. It belongs to the scouts. And if you come and volunteer, whether it's for a couple of days, a year, a month, it's your center to host to anyone who comes through to show off, to keep clean, to look after, <laughs> to maintain, and to welcome scouts to come and experience. Well, and that has certainly been the experience over the last 12-ish days. Um, of course, we're here in the context of Candor 100, mm-hmm. the actual like jamboree at the permanent mini jamboree to yep. celebrate 100 years thereof. And uh, I mean... I can't even imagine, you know, how much coordination and planning that took to to pull off, uh, to welcome 62 countries, 1,600 people, and the occasional train full of cars. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's more or less been four years. When I started, the committee had just identified some priorities for the centenary year. Okay. So we said, of course, it's going to be a lot of fun, but we should do some bigger stuff. And we said we should get more people engaged than ever before from more countries. We should try and build closer working relationships with WASM, the World Organization, but also all the NSOs. We should try and get more members involved because we have, we're actually an independent organization with a committee and ultimately the highest body is all our members. Right. So we're aiming to have 750 members by the end of the year. Ah. And we do a load of fundraising. So four years ago, we had those goals, but nothing had been detailed out from there. And I have from four years ago, the first spreadsheets that kind of identified what we might be working on when. And of course, two years of a pandemic didn't help. We had to reduce down our staff team, 25 people at one point. There yeah. was genuine concerns to try and stay afloat, not to, to lose all our savings or any money we had right. so that put things on hold a bit so it's kind of been one and a half years of really intense preparations for all the events there's seven events actually taking part this year as kind of 100 is the highlight of it um, but we managed to do something new which we'd ever, never done before which was work with remote volunteers so we had a team of about 50 volunteers around the world working from home wherever they are in the world right. joining in in calls planning bits of program helping identify how we might do service projects taking bookings even for the event dealing with correspondence and questions. And those volunteers were as much what made the event come together as the ones who were here on site. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's nice that, you know, until you actually need to start, like, making sure that the campsites have, you know, been maintained and making sure that the, you know, challenge activities are still in good working order, until you actually need to have boots on the ground, yeah. there's a lot that you can do yeah. just talking remotely. And that is, it's, it's I, one thing that I've really liked, actually, about being here is just how... Um, because I know back home, there's sort of a, there's, there's sometimes a tension, right? And again, a lot of this was exacerbated over COVID mm. where we had some groups that literally just went into hibernation. They just were like, they were ab adamant that they were not going to leverage technology mm. to maintain program. Mm. And so they shuttered for, in some cases, almost three years, mm. right? Whereas even before hearing you say that, the impression I got just from all of the materials that were given to me as I was trying to organize the Canadian participation was that the attitude towards technology here was more about it being an accelerator for, you know, it being a, a valuable tool, yeah. wise in the use of all resources, as at least the Canadian promise yeah. states. Um, but like, you know, basically just an accelerator on top of program anyways, right? So I think it's been quite a, a personal driver or passion for me that I'm really uh, interested in how through digital, we can improve the experience, both for leaders making bookings and dealing with all the administration, needing to find maps and that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. uh, but also through our program. And of course, COVID forced us, like everyone else, to, to go down the route of trying online program. Yeah. One of the events we ran this year was a KISK Jyoti, Jamboree on the internet. Um, and we had in more than a million engagements with that platform where we ran over a week. It absolutely blew us away how people want to be involved in the educational program just as much as they want to be involved in the high adventure yeah. and the physical program. And we've always known that people come to Canada State for these mountains and the, the glaciers and the high adventure and the lakes and the paragliding and the rafting. But at Canada 100, more than ever before in our Global Goals exhibition, I've seen how young people have been so passionate about the educational program, yeah. the sustainable development goals, the the want to make a change and an impact and to take something they've learned back home. Well, that whole attitude of, you know, leaving the world a little bit better than you found it. And so, yeah, like we did the SDG tent a couple days and it was glorious, yeah. you know, very well put on, yeah. um, great activities, good engagement from the youth. And I think too, but have like 
being able to have the candor app yeah. and sort of engage with that as you're going through stuff, yeah. right? Um, the, get, getting the QR codes, getting the awards exactly, within yeah. the app, and then having those translate to physical badges, at yeah. least in some cases. Like, that's we, uh, sort of a nice experience. I think part of the centenary year has also encouraged us to try out some new stuff, and the app is a good example. We never had an app before. Right. Um, honestly, there probably aren't many scout centers that have an app. You know, we have a nice website, but that's... Uh, that's something that maybe bigger businesses have definitely moved in the direction of, but um, with tighter budgets and a not-for-profit organization, right. something took us a bit more time. But we always knew when we were ambitiously saying, yeah, let's try it for this time, it would also be about the future of KISK, and not only something that was just for this event, but then right. something that can be used so that, I hope, guests coming in the next years can make their booking through the app. They can add oh, program, wow. they can check their meal bookings and view their bill live and and a lot of that has been done by volunteers as well. So it's, it's been done a partnership between a professional company, although the contact came through a scout, and a lot of scouts okay. who did the designing and the coding and the, uh, the gamification with the badges, as you talked about. Yeah, well, and it was, I mean, being able to add new features to it would be awesome because mm. it, was, it was useful to me too. I mean, I like collecting badges too, so of course I'm scanning every QR code I get. But um, being able to, you know, just hop in, view the agenda, right? Yeah. Because... Paper gets wet, <laughs> gets lost. I think, you know, the reality is everyone now comes here with a smartphone. That's, yeah. For years, we had controversial discussions about whether we should have Wi-Fi everywhere or whether you should go on camp and switch off from Wi-Fi. And whether or not, everyone is coming with a phone. Um, and so maybe embracing it and finding a way to, to build a, a connection between the digital scanning or resources, but also linking to physical activities or badges is a happy balance in between. I think it was too. It was, it was nice to have, and yet at the same time, you know, it's not like, at least my observation is, that it's not like you're just constantly seeing youth mm. on their phones. Yeah, they're out, they're about, they're doing stuff, they're yeah. hiking, they're taking part in the workshops. Yeah. And then, yeah, at the end, you know, they might snap a few photos and, of course, grab the code, and then it's off to the next thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. It is that it's a nice balance, and I think that. I mean, we talked back home about how Scouts is sort of the digital detox and it's the alternative to screen time, but I think you can still find ways to work the tech into the scouting experience in those ways that, you know, are genuinely constructive. Yeah. At least that's my hope. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think that's uh, an exciting opportunity over the next years for us. Next year we'll have, uh, we're lucky to have a volunteer who has a lot of digital IT background and experience. Nice. And that's something he's going to be looking at is how do we improve our processes particularly in terms of all the bookings and giving people information, but also the activities with everything we've learned this year and future opportunities that are out there as well. Brilliant. Um, I know your time is precious, so I don't know how much longer we have to chat, but... Uh, Maybe talk a little about volunteering opportunities for anyone who might be interested. You know what? Actually, yes. Um, I was talking with uh, a couple of the pinkies as well, like sort of getting their take on things, but I would be curious to sort of hear the the official line on like, mm -hmm. you know, how do you volunteer? Because you've, you know, you've talked about the insane amount of staffing you've brought in and all of these different roles that people fill. And of course you've repeated several times the word volunteer. And that is really something to emphasize yeah. is that almost all of KISK yeah. is run off of volunteers. It's very yeah. vanishingly few paid positions yeah. associated with the center. Yeah, absolutely. So in the lifetime of KISK, we think that about 6,000 volunteers have led the center and run the center wow. over the different times. Um, of course, you go back 50 years, it might have only been a couple of people for a quieter period. As I said, now we 
tend not to have any less than 40 at any time because it's also about their scouting opportunities and experiences, right. even if it is a quiet day in November. Um, but to come and volunteer, there's basically three requirements you need to meet. You need to be older than 18 years old when you start as a volunteer. You need to be able to communicate in English, not perfectly. Many people in our team have English as a second, third, maybe even fourth language. Right. But that's, we have one common language so we can work together and it's English. So you need to be able to communicate with the guests a little or at least be able to deal with emergency safety information. Okay. And the third requirement is you need to be a scout or a guide, which I guess is not going to be a problem for anyone listening in on your podcast. <laughs> um, and then the best thing is to go onto the website, www.kisk.ch, K-I-S-E, and there we post all the volunteering opportunities. Even if they're not open, you can see the opportunities. So if you're holding out for the next time the uh, PR marketing position is open, ah. then you can find the position. You can click on the button that says notify me when this is open and you'll get an email next time it opens. Oh, cool. So whether it's short-term staff or for a long-term staff position, they're all listed there. We generally recruit at least six months in advance of anything opening up. Um, but that's the three requirements. And then we ask you to submit a CV explaining what experience you have, whether it's volunteering experience, study experience, or work experience. Okay. Uh, a motivation letter explaining why you'd like to come and volunteer and what you'll give and what you'll get out of it. A reference from your, or an endorsement from your scouting or guiding association to prove that you are a member. Um, and a medical certificate to prove that you're going to be able to work at a height of 1,200 meters or about 3,500 feet, uh, that you're mentally able to come and deal with the, the environment that we work in. Yeah. And that's it. Send all that in and we'll consider the season that might work for you. Brilliant. And I guess maybe just to finish out that information, um, so obviously, you know, volunteer staff coming here as volunteers so they're presumably handling the costs of transport here transport home plus i know like at least my understanding with the pinkies is they get you know one or two days off a week so if they wanted to do any excursions they presumably have to have you know money set aside for all of that um room and board is covered it is yeah. and then um some health coverage i think exists for like accidents yeah, it depends a little bit on the role. Um, food and board is always covered, and it's different accommodation depending if you're here for a short term or a long term. Right. Um, there are things like ski passes available. There's cable car passes. There's cool. climbing equipment. So there's lots of activity equipment that you can borrow, from snowshoes to uh, abseiling equipment. Then there's toiletries and towels and bedding and uniform and all that kind of laundry stuff. Of course. And then depending on the position, some positions come with a pocket money. And the short-term staff positions don't come with a pocket money. Right. For short-term staff, depending which country you come from, we offer uh, financial support for travel. It depends a little on how WASM categorizes your country. So they use an ABCD right. scheme. And depending where your country falls is how we set our solidarity support. Uh, but that's a fund that we've built up over time that's there to support volunteers with their travel costs. But we also always encourage volunteers to either maybe do a bit of fundraising, maybe speak to their association if they can help out. Support right. travel costs. Um, and then, yeah, it's generally two days off per week. If you're here for a longer period than six months, you get some extra days for holidays, so you can get off and explore Switzerland and, nice. and spend some time out enjoying the mountains. Um, but ultimately, we're also offering a lot of training. There's a lot of opportunities to grow and learn and develop, either through professional training courses or on the job in the chance to lead and manage people and be guided by well, yeah, people with absolutely. other experience. I mean, you know, being able to like lead hikes for example, yeah. day after day, like that's, yeah. 
That's huge, especially, you know, if you want to then go home and like translate that into, say, an outdoor Absolutely, education yeah. Yeah. pursuit or something like and that. Try and support people when they finish at the time at Kiskin, translating that into a CV that's then understood wherever they're trying to go. So whether they're going into a, a more commercial background or the not-for-profit sector or into university to help them explain what exactly it is they've learned and achieved and done. It's yeah. often incredible things and can be underestimated, but the, the reality of having... Uh, planned an event for a thousand people or led a staff team of 10 people in the kitchen cooking for 500 people or guided a hike and dealt with an emergency yeah. five miles away from anyone else. Those things are all the skills that people are learning here and uh, we're trying to help them talk about when they go on from KISK as well into future opportunities. Absolutely. Huh. Well, <clears throat> I didn't really have, you know, too many other questions beyond that. Um, this was really, you know, an opportunity for you to promote the center. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe... On that, you talked about like becoming a member mm -hmm. of the center, and yeah. like that gets you onto the voting council and all the exactly, rest of yeah. that. <clears throat> and I saw the pricing over in the gift shop over there, but I don't have it committed to memory. So I'm assuming though, that's done through the website as well, or it yeah, can it's be. all done through the website. So by becoming a member, the biggest thing is you're supporting the center. Um, you know, of course, your your membership fee each year, which ranges from twenty five francs up to 50 francs as an individual, 25 is for a youth member, okay. or for an association, 200 francs. Scout groups can also become a member. You're supporting the center. That, your money is going towards supporting projects like uh, the Solidarity Funds, towards making the center more accessible, running programs for groups that can't afford it. But there are some benefits you get as well. So you're right, you get to vote and be involved in the strategic decisions of the World Scout Center, right. deciding the direction that's gonna go in in the future. The special merchandise that you can purchase, members' merchandise. It's a very you fetching necker. <laughs> you get a free overnight every year at the center, and that alone would be 20 francs out of that cost. Right. So, you know, we want you to come and stay and to see the center and, and be here with us. Um, but as I say, it's really, it's about a way of supporting the center. You get a lot of newsletters, updates. You get invited for special members' events and weekends. It's a way to show that you believe in what we believe in about creating a better world, that scouting is a great way to do it and that by bringing people together from all different countries, allowing young people to lead it, that that's something amazing that you support and agree with and would like to see continue. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I got to talk to my group about that. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I guess two thank yous then. First, for your time now to take oh, time and, you yeah. know, chat and give you an opportunity to promote the center. It's and exciting to be able to talk to, whether it's young people. You know, I first heard about the center when I was 14 and I remember mm. hearing about it and thinking I'll park that somewhere in my brain for when I told it old enough to go and volunteer. Whether it's talking to leaders who are a little nervous about organizing a big international trip for the first time, but are excited by the idea of coming somewhere that has such an amazing atmosphere at any time of year. Um, yeah, we're there to support no matter who. If it's a group that we can help with a bit of advice and help them planning their trip. We also have an ambassador for Canada, can be found on the website under the contact us section, awesome. who can offer specific advice on traveling from Canada, currencies, good program, that kind of thing. Um, or if it's inquiries, then just get in touch with our happy, friendly team of pinkies who can support you with uh, any questions, whether it's about coming as a family, a scout group, an individual, or a staff. Brilliant. And I guess the second thank you is just for, you know, this Canada 100 experience and I mean, there were some struggles related to the weather, mm -hmm. but There's I think... There's snow on the peaks today. Yeah, yeah there is, which is kind of neat to see. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I think, you know, you talk about like, you know, the enthusiasm of the volunteers and just the energy of this place. And 
damp gear notwithstanding, you know, I think that experience, just being able to come here and experience this place and the energy of it and the program that you did devise and put on, that your whole team devised and put on, like, I think that was well, well worth it. And so thank you for that too. Like this was a once in a lifetime experience. Maybe not once in a lifetime. Hopefully I can come back. Find an excuse to come back. Bring my kids back. Well, thank you. Um, I'm pleased that we've achieved what we set out to, which is giving you an amazing scouting experience, the chance to meet many more people, and hopefully some inspiration to go home with. Oh, so much. So much. I mean, I love the international campfires, especially. You know, I would never have thought that, you know, my eldest, who, in every other respect, large and in charge when she's doing scouting things, but crowds make her nervous, right? So to see her in front of, you know, however many hundred people were at that campfire leading a song, like, wow. That's cool, right? People come out of their shell. And then um, just, you know, also through that same experience, right? I'm stealing that campfire, so I'm taking that one home, you know? In 25 years of scouting experience around the world for me, the weekly international campfire at Kisk is the best scouting thing you can do in the world. Oh. Compared to anything else, having a thousand people there from all those countries sharing their songs, it goes on for hours because everyone's just enjoying it so much. Yep. It's the best thing you can do. It, it was. It was a highlight, definitely. Well, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been uh, really nice to talk about it with you. Yeah, for sure. 